Um, while I'm doing that, if you find in, in your Bibles Hebrews 8 verse 6, show me your Bibles. Yeah? Wave them. See, that scares hell. <laughs> you know, it does. The enemy doesn't like people who read their, their Bibles, but more so, he hates people who believe their Bibles and act on it. And so, what, what we're doing here, so if you, you're here for the first time this morning or you're just visiting, we're, we're, we're doing a series where we're looking at the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is all about how what we have in Christ is so much better than people who were in the Old Testament times. And so what we're trying to learn to do is to realise that we don't have to uh, do all the things they did in the Old Testament in order to be acceptable to God. We're made acceptable to God because Christ died for us. And whatever we've done in our life, he still died for it. And we don't, you know, we don't get closer to God or, or uh, get saved by how good we are. We get saved by believing what Christ did for us. And so that's what we're looking at, a better covenant. And um, when I was thinking about this and, and thinking about what, what I was going to talk about this morning, um, I, I, I wrote this like several weeks ago. And at that time, there was a, a new iPhone that had just come out. And I was in the Grafton Centre, and I was in the Grafton Centre, 8 a.m. in the morning, thinking, I wonder why there's so many cars on the Grafton, uh, not the Grafton, the Grand Arcade. I wonder why there's so many cars on the Grand Arcade car park. And I went in, and there was this huge queue outside the Apple shop, just to get the next new thing. And what was fascinated me is that when everybody was queuing, they were on their phones. So they already had a phone, but they wanted the next new thing. So they were queuing, and they were willing to queue. I don't know how long some of them have been there. And they were willing to spend hundreds of pounds. Thousand pounds, that one. Yeah, willing to spend that in order to get something that was new when what they had was quite clearly working. And it's something that, that is true, that the good is suddenly made obsolete by the better. And that's true in Bible terms. Um, our inheritance that we receive as believers, it, Jesus calls it, effectively, he says it's the last will and testament. It's, how many of you heard the word New Testament? Yeah. Yeah? There only is one testament, and it's the last will and testament of Jesus. It's all the things he died to give us. And so... When we, when we look at Jesus and the way we relate to him or the way we think about him, we have to get in our heads that it's not going to change. Despite all our, our rush with all technology and all the new and the new getting better and the new getting better, Jesus died once and for all, for everyone, for all time. And it doesn't change. You know, we're, we're not going to scrub Jesus up and make him look better. He's a real person God in the flesh who died for you. So let's go to, let's go to Hebrews 8 verse 6. Now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. What we've been given in Jesus is better in every way than people had in the Old Testament. And when it says a better covenant on better promises, it encapsulates or includes all the good things that Jesus died to give us. Now, here's the astonishing thing. Some of us, we, we think of God as, as kind of angry and out there, and he withholds things from us, and only when we're good enough and we, we, we're sorry enough and we cry out enough will he answer our prayers. That's Old Testament. That's what it was like before Jesus died. And sadly, us in the church still behave sometimes to God like that was still true. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 says that all God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. All God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Now, there's no no in yes and amen, is there? 
we, we receive what Christ did to give us by faith. What he has done for us is his grace. We didn't deserve it. It's completely unmerited. Jesus didn't die for you because you deserved it. He died for you because he loves you. And we receive that by faith. Because Jesus doesn't look at you and turn you away and go, no. He looks at you and he says, yes and amen. Believe me, have eternal life. Enter into everything I died to give you. Okay. You see, a lot of people think that God's only going to respond to them if they're good enough, holy enough, go to church enough, say enough prayers, read the Bible enough, put chairs out enough, uh, plead enough, cry enough, and, and so on. And that means that a lot of believers, we, we kind of live our life on this constant quest for the right formula to get our prayers answered. We'd all like our prayers answering, wouldn't we? But unfortunately, it's not a formula. So all that, that looking for a formula to get our prayers answered, it doesn't, it doesn't do us any good. You see, the problem is that a lot of people believe that God's kind of random. That he answers prayers for some people, but not for other people. Or he'll do things for some people, not for other people. And... He'll answer prayers when somebody's done enough, but not for those who haven't done enough. Whatever enough is. is it ever, have you ever thought, like, where's, what, how do we measure enough? You can't. There's always more you can do. If it was about that, we'd all fail. Now, the problem's this. If you believe that God answers prayers for some people and not other people, if you believe that God will save some people, but he won't answer you, if you believe that God died for some people, but he didn't die for you, then you kind of got this idea that God's just totally random. And the problem with thinking that God's like that is that it's very difficult to trust somebody who's like that, isn't it? If, if, you know, if like you, you get one day you get one God and a different day a different God, and one God turns up for one person, a different God for a different person, it's really hard to trust somebody who's like that. Now, we might often be like that ourselves, but thankfully, God isn't like that at all. He's the same towards everybody. He's unchanging, and his promises are unchanging. What we know is that Christ died once and for all for everyone. Put your hand up if you're included in every, everyone, even with a H. <laughs> included in everyone. Now, the point of all this, and, and where I'm going to, what I want to focus in on this morning, is how do we receive the things that Jesus died for to give us? Now, if you're already a believer, you know the answer to that, certainly in terms of receiving salvation. You look at yourself, say that I can never reach the standard of being perfect, but Jesus died for me, so that I could be forgiven of what I do wrong and have eternal life. And all that works by you believing it, knowing it and believing it. The interesting thing is about the kingdom of God and the way God works is everything like, works like that. Jesus paid for it and you, when you believe it, you receive it. We have... Uh, uh, like technical terms for that as believers, we, we call what Christ purchased or what he paid for or what he did when he died at the cross and rose again, grace. But grace on its own doesn't save anybody. You actually need to believe it and let it change you. You need to believe it. Grace is always there, but some people struggle to receive it themselves. Go with me to 2 Peter. If you haven't got your Bibles, don't worry, they're all up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to start at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, these are kind of uh, the Apostle Peter's last words. These are last recorded things we have. And he was, um, shortly after writing this, he was executed. 
And uh, what he's doing is he's, he's writing to them and he's reminding them that everything they've got isn't through uh, their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that they received as a gift when they believed it. We don't get to heaven, we don't uh, become Christians by what we do. We become Christians by believing what Christ did. And that's what he's reminding them. You aren't made righteous because you're good. You made righteousness because you believed in Christ and he did good. And then he goes on and he makes, I think, one of the most astonishing statements in the whole Bible. So, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, so that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Don't worry about the last bit at the moment. What I want you to look at is just this incredible statement that we, as believers, have been given all things for life and godliness. And so, because I'm one of these questioning people, I, I wanted to know what's, what's the translation of that word, all. So I looked it up in my, in my concordances and got into the Greek and everything, and all means all. It's kind of simple, isn't it? So, as believers, we've been given everything we need for life and everything we need to walk well in this world. Actually, that word translated all, I'll, I'll tell you what it does. Because you know, like Greeks, they, 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 Greeks like to make one word mean a lot. Whereas, we like to take one word and add ten. You know, because... English, we, we, our language is quite flowery compared to Greek. But this is what it means. Each and every part that could possibly apply. Every individual thing needed to, to form the total picture. Not a single thing missing that might be needed. All. So when it says life, what does it mean? When it says you've been given everything you need for life. That word life is another Greek word, zoe, and it means life like God himself enjoys it. Now, I'm not telling you you are God, but what I'm telling you is that you're part of God's family and he wants you to enjoy and have a fulfilled and fruitful life. And he wants to be part of that with you. He wants to walk that with you because he loves you. And when it says we have everything we need for godliness, what it's talking about is when you're born again, you are given the ability to walk free of the things that have held you in the past. Without being born again, you are stuck with who you are, what has happened, and what has gone on in your past, and you've got no ability to change it. But for a born-again believer, we have the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside us, becomes one with our spirit, and changes us. You see, Jesus didn't just die so you could go to heaven one day. He died so that your life could change right here, right now, and for all the future. How do you get that? How, how do you make that work for you? Well, according to this verse, what you have to do is get to know God. To know him, in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of him. You've got to get to know God. You see, if Jesus died and paid for everything, you don't have to pay for it. But you do need to know how to access it and receive it. And often it's hard to access things when you don't know the person who gave you them. Let, let, let me carry on with that. But basically what, what, they, uh, sorry, what Peter's saying here is to the extent that you know God, you are going to be able to receive more of what God has for you. The less you know God, the less you'll receive. Now, that's not God holding back. 
It's really important you know that. It's not God holding back. I'm not saying you have to get God to know God more so he, he, because otherwise he'll hold back and won't give to you. It's not God holding back at all. But for us to receive, we have to know more of his nature and who he is. Remember I said everything works by faith, believing. It's very difficult to believe somebody you don't know. Like if you, if you went outside and talked to some guys on that football pitch, you know, some of the spectators, and they, they made promises to you, you wouldn't know whether they were trustworthy or not, whether they were telling the truth or lying, would you? Because you don't know them. So to receive more of what God has for us, to know him more, to, to see more of the, the reality of his love in our life and, and experience that love for ourselves, we have to get to know him. Like, I've been married to Cheryl for 30 years and we still find out things about each other, but less and less because we know each other more and more. We've been on this journey together actually for 37 years and at the beginning she didn't like me. I'm kind of hoping that's changed. (laughs) Has it changed? It has. has. Excellent. We're all right. Because she knows me more and I, I know Cheryl more and we... You know, we, we will often sit in, in the house and we won't say anything to each other, but we know what we're both thinking. And there's like these, almost like you can, I can look at Cheryl, I can see these cogs whirring and I know what she means. And Cheryl looks at me and, and, and she knows what's going on in my head. I don't know how, but you do because you know each other. And you pick up, as you know each other more and more, you pick up all the little signs. So the way we... we get to know that how much God really loves us is to get to know him. To get to know him more and more. And the more and more we know him, I guarantee you something will happen. You will fall in love with him. The more and more I knew Cheryl, the more and more I fell in love with her. And I still fall more and more in love with her every day because I get to know her more. And she's kind of cool. So you should get to know her too. Yeah? If you don't. You see, the, the opposite is this. What we, when I say no, that's a, it's a, again, a Greek word, and it's epignosis for those who want to know this. So if you're making notes, put it down. You can impress all your friends when you get home. I've got this new word, epignosis. Epignosis is actually about an experiential, intense form of knowing. It's a deep knowing. So... A couple of years ago, uh, 10th of January 2015, uh, David Bowie died. Yeah? Now, you might have different opinions about David Bowie, but he kind of wrote the soundtrack to my teens and 20s. So I was a big fan of David Bowie. And in my teens and 20s, I had lots of books and uh, t- told me all about his life and biographies and pictures and all that sort of stuff. And I was a member of the fan club and I went to see him do a big concert at Main Road, took Cheryl along. She didn't know any of the songs. I knew every word of every song and she thinks I'm stand... That, like, she didn't know and I'm stood there singing every word of every song and she's going... <laughs> you see, I knew a lot about David Bowie and I knew a lot about all the words of his songs. But I didn't know him at all. And we can know a lot about God and not know him at all. Are you getting the point? And that's that's a problem, you see, because kind of particularly in Cambridge, but other places as well, you can substitute knowledge or information or facts and think you know somebody. But you don't know how they'll react to things. You don't know what uh, they love. You don't know what they're passionate about. They don't know what they get excited about. You don't know what drives them. You don't know what they hate. You don't know uh, what, what their goals are, what their purposes are. You just don't know them at all. You just know a lot about them. And that's not the type of thing that God's talking about. When he says, get to know me, he's saying, get to know my heart. Get to know how passionate I am about you. Get to know how jealous I am about you. Get to know how just like I am so completely in love with you that when you didn't want me, when you just turned your back on me, when you weren't interested in me at all, when nobody in the world wanted me, I loved you so much that I would still come and I would be prepared to die for you and I did. 
And he's saying, get to know somebody who loves you that much. That's what he's saying. Do you, do you get it? Yeah. You see, God isn't after somebody to be a slave or a servant to him. He's not in the business of collecting numbers. He's in the business of going after people's hearts. And whether, you've been, whether you're not a believer or whether you've been a believer for decades, he's still after one thing, and that is your heart. Now, let's go back to those verses I was talking about before, because when we get to know God... In, in the way I've been talking about, we discover something about the way God has chosen to relate to us. And he's chosen to relate to us by making promises and keeping them. Now, why does God do that? I don't know. There is something I don't know. But I don't know but that's just the way it is. That's how God decided he wanted to relate to us. So he makes promises to us. Now remember, in Christ, all those promises are yes and amen. You, you, yeah? Just don't forget that. Coming back to those verses that were up from uh, 2 Peter. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been, give, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, here's the problem for, for believers. So I'm talking to believers now, and some of you are at various stages on this journey. I hear this sentence quite a lot, or, or this sort of phrase. I'll, I'll re I wrote it down because somebody said it to me uh, not that long ago, and I, and I thought, that's really interesting. And this is what they said, well, well Pastor Mark, that's me, I know the word says that if I sow generously, I'll reap abundantly. So I've been giving and believing for a new job, but it's not happened. I'm believing the promise. I've been trying really hard to stay in faith until I see the promise. I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. I'm going after that promise. I'm putting my faith in that promise. And they weren't seeing what they were praying for. And that kind of troubled me. Now, I, I have here something uh, very precious. Anybody, can you read what it says on there? Check for one million, Check for one million pounds. Okay? So, I'm going to give this away to somebody. <laughs> it looks like it's Esther. She got there first. <laughs> now, you're going, wow. <laughs> Check for one million pounds to Esther. Free gift. Now, what's going through your heads about my check for one million pounds that I'm going to give to Esther? Dodgy. Dodgy. Right, dodgy. Okay. When does she cash it? That's what she's thinking. Right. Let me try and interpret it for you. And why we have this problem trying to believe God's promises and have faith in God's promises. When I said I'm going to give Esther a cheque for £1 million, really you're asking two questions. Is Mark good for the money? Because what's the point of a cheque? Because it's not cash. So is he good for the money? That's the first thing. Okay. When we relate to God, the real question is, we, we don't have that question because he's God, isn't he? He's good for everything. He's like creator of the universe. He, he's got the money. He's got what you need. He's got... The ability to provide anything. He's got the ability to change around any situation, any circumstance. He's got the ability to do what he says he'll do. That's the first question. Now the second question is this. You're all going, will he actually give Esther the cheque for a million pounds? Don't open it yet. Clearly, that's just a visual illustration. All right? Okay, well, I'll tell you why. Because I'm not God. And this is the problem, you see. 
God doesn't, you don't have those questions with God. But we still have this lingering question, even though we believe God can do anything and believe God has the answers, our question is, but will he do it for me? Will he do it for me? This is what God says. The point I'm making is this. You can believe a promise of God for as long as you like. And it's not that you aren't trying to have faith. You probably do have faith. But we are not trying to believe promises. We are trying to believe the promiser behind the promises. And we have to answer that question, will he do it for me? If I trust him with my life, will he save me? Will he be there for me when I need help? Can I trust him to do it for me? I get it works for Pastor Mark. I get it works for Cheryl. I get it works for so-and-so. I get it works for this person. But will he do it for me? Now, remember what I said. All God's promises are yes and amen. So what we're trying to do is trust the promiser. Believe the promiser, not the promise. Titus 1, verse 2. So this, this is a letter from Paul, uh, which is there. says this. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Now, I can lie. I can give Esther an empty envelope. Oh, you're all sad for Esther now, aren't you? It's all right, it's Paul's job to look after her. <laughs> but God can't lie like that. We need to stop looking at God by the way we do things and our inconsistencies and our manipulations and the way we do things and look at God as who he says he is and get to know him as that person. Because the person that we get to know, we'll find out, cannot lie. If he's promised something, he'll do it. And he'll do it the same for everyone because he's promised it to everyone. Because in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. Hebrews, going back to Hebrews, which is kind of the book we're studying at the moment. If I go to chapter um, 6 in Hebrews and look at verse 13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. <laughs> you might not quite get that, but you know like when somebody goes to you, I promise, I promise, God's on, I swear on the Bible, I swear by my mother's grave, and all those sort of things that people come out with. You, you, you know that sort of thing. We, we give oaths. Like if you give evidence in court, you give an oath. You swear by the Bible or you swear by God. God can't do that. So what does he do? He swears by himself because there is no one higher. My point is, and what, what that, that's saying is, God has staked his whole integrity on answering you in the way he said he answered you. Here's kind of the point I'm getting to. Jesus paid the price for you once and for all. And in paying that price, he fill, fulfilled all the things you couldn't fulfill. He did all the things that you failed to do. And he did it once and for all 2,000 years ago. 
Now, as you weren't there 2,000 years ago, you can't do anything about that, can you? All you can do is believe it or not. And here's the amazing thing about our God, that if you believe it, you'll receive it, and if you don't, you won't. Okay, you just need to get that. If I believe it, I'll receive it. If I don't, I won't. How do you get to that level of confidence in God that you believe him? By getting to know him and know how much he loves you. Because it was all done 2,000 years ago, it doesn't go up and down or change according to your circumstances. You might be having a great day or a terrible day, a great month or a terrible month, a great year or a terrible year. God hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. He's not going to respond to your circumstances and go, oh, sorry, I was really sorry I'm going through a tough time. Sorry, not, not a lot I can do about it. It's so bad. It's not, it doesn't move. It's unchanged by your circumstances, how much God loves you. It's unchanged by what's going on in your life, whether that he will always keep his promises. Why? Because he paid for them 2,000 years ago, and there's nothing you can do about that. And there's nothing that changes by that, by what's happening now. Up or down, happy or sad, merry or glad, God is the same towards you and he loves you and he keeps his word every time. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So shall be my word that goes forth from my mouth. It's not going to return to me void but it will accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And then Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever, God's word is settled. It's not changing. It doesn't change depending on what you have done, how you feel, how people have treated you, what's happened in your past, how bad you were. He's the same for everyone because he loves everyone. And he died for you, wherever you find yourself. So I remember when uh, all this just sort of started to dawn on me and Cheryl, and it was a few years ago, well, several years ago now, and uh, I was on the train going into London and I was, I was studying this passage in Hebrews. And it just, uh, and I was, I was listening to somebody uh, on my headphones who was talking about this passage in Hebrews. And this is what they said, God has invested all his own faith in his word so that when it was spoken by him, he knew it would come to pass exactly as he intended it. God has invested himself in his promises. And when I heard that, my, my heart just took this massive leap. And I'm thinking, I'm not, it's not dependent on me to make these promises work. God's actually invested himself in making them work. He's invested his integrity, his power, his faith, his love in making these things work that he has promised. And it, it just got to me that what I needed to do is I needed to know the person who was making the promises and, and worry far less about the exact terms of the promise and whether I thought that I was good enough to receive it. Because I'm not. None of us were good enough to get saved in the first place. But still, by believing in Christ, we're saved. All of us fall short. But now in Christ, we're made right. We're made worthy. So, I came home, I was really excited, and, and I started studying this out. And it was a huge turning point in seeing that... The, the things of God manifest in our life and manifest through our prayers. Just because we 
focused less on trying to believe something that was a written word and more in trying to get to know God and what was his heart. And the more we knew God and the more we knew his heart, we realised more and more that he'll never let us down. He'll never lie to us. He'll, he'll never go up and down. He'll, he'll never change because he absolutely 100% loves us and he wants the best for us. And, and so this like new confidence started to, start to energise the way we were praying. And, and we, we, we changed the way we prayed for people, you know, like when we were praying for healing and things like that, or praying into life situations for people. We changed the way we were praying, and we started to pray like this, and uh, we had to write it down at first, so I'll tell you what, what we wrote down for a healing prayer. And it says this, just a little excerpt Father, from it. Father, we know that you are a promise keeper. We know it's so important to you to keep your word that nothing comes above you, above it. Now, your word says that those who lay hands on the sick will see them healed. So, Father, I'm going to lay my hands on this person knowing that you are a keeper of your word. You do not change. You love me. You love them. And so healing, come right now in Jesus' name. And uh, I, get, I get this occasional privilege that I get to, uh, to travel I've been doing it more and more recently, but travel to other churches and other places. And about the time we, we sort of got hold of this, I went on a, uh, to speak at a conference in Prague. It was called the Eurofire Conference, and, which sounds really grand, doesn't it? Um, and it was just freezing cold. It was just like snow and everything outside. But there's loads of people at this conference. And, and I, I started to see that what, what it was about is about how much God loves and who he is and what he does. And I was explaining to, 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 to them in this conference that that's how he works. And uh, we didn't, I didn't do anything big. I just spoke out what I've just said over the people who were there. I came back in the afternoon and... I was quite surprised because there's a lot of people up on the stage. And when you're in a, in, a, in a different country, you've no idea what's going on because they're speaking Czech. And so I have no idea what they're talking about, but there's a whole queue of people. And the, the first two people got up and they, they talked a little bit and then there's lots of applause, you know, and people were excited. And so I went up and I said, like, what's going on? And he said, well, these two people that have just given the testimony... They were blind when they came in here, and they can now see. And so that shift in not expending a massive effort to believe God, but instead of spending my efforts in getting to know him, somehow gave a breakthrough because I'd never seen sight healed before. Now I've seen it several times, lots of times, but I'd never seen it before that, and there was two. And it was kind of like, oh, well, God's kind of did it without me, you know, having to worry about it. Because I had no idea that had happened. You see, God's promises are yes and amen. He loves you so much that he died for you. If you were the only person on the planet, he died for you. So here's my advice for you this morning. If you don't know God, come to him right now and say, I want to know you. I can't do this by who I am. I know I'm not good enough, but I'm going to trust you to make me right with God. I know I've done wrong things, but I'm going to trust you to make me right with God. And if you do know Jesus, this is what I'd encourage you to do. Spend less time gathering facts and more time getting to know the man, the God behind the facts. Yeah. Getting to know the promiser and what his heart is like. Amen. Are we able to do it? We, we might do. So we wanted to 
finish this morning. Hang on. Hold it. We wanted to finish this morning because, um, quite apart from everything else, uh, one of the greatest men, well, probably the greatest man of God in my lifetime, passed away this week. They call it, I think that's really nice. He didn't pass away, he passed over. Because what happens for a believer is when you die, your spirit is immediately with Christ. You are immediately with Christ. It's just your body that's dead. So after 99 and a half years, this man passed over. Um, I remember being involved in a, in a crusade he did. It was a satellite-based crusade. So he, he spoke in one place in, in Liverpool, but it was satellite beamed to churches all across the UK. And, and I, I was involved with that back in, it might have been actually the last time he came, I don't know, it was the early 90s. And uh, what a phenomenal man. So we, I just wanted you to, just wanted to play this, and, and then we're, we're done, because I think when a great man of God passes over, we need to mark it and mark our appreciation to what he's done for us, yeah? yeah? So if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Billy Graham. And he's just a very, very special servant of God. And he was able to do this because he knew how much God loved him. Not because he had a lot of knowledge about God, but because he had real knowledge of who God is and his heart. So let's play it. As I look back on my life, it's full of surprises. I never thought I'd have become friends with people in different countries all over the world. I see how God's hand guided me. When I began preaching many years ago, it was not with any thoughts that I'd been preaching to large audiences. God has done this. Our country is in great need of a spiritual awakening. There have been times that I've wept as I've gone from city to city and I've seen how far people have wandered from God. Of all the things that I've seen and heard, there's only one message that should change people's lives and hearts. There is a way if you come by the way of the cross. The cross. The cross. I want to tell people about the meaning of the cross. Not the cross that hangs on a wall or around someone's neck. We receive our freedom purchased by the ransom of the cross. But the real cross of Christ. The cross expresses the great love of God for me. It's scarred and blood stained. This was a rugged cross. His real purpose for coming was to die. I know that many will react to this message, but it is the truth. And with all my heart, I want to leave you with the truth. God says, I love you. I love you. I love you with everlasting love. And he loves you. Willing to forgive you of all your sins. The cross is offensive because it confronts people. Even so, it's a confrontation that all of us must face. I look out across an audience when I stand up to preach and I think of all the people with their different backgrounds and their various needs and I know that they are objects of God's mighty love to the point that he gave his son, his only son, to die upon a cross and the cross was the most terrible formed for execution by the Romans for criminals. And Jesus endured all that in our place because of our sins. We deserve the cross. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment and all that that means. I know that there are many people that dispute that. 
People don't want to hear it, they're sinners. To many people it's an offense. The cross is offensive because it directly confronts the evils which dominate so much of this world. One reason that the cross is an offense to people is because it demands, doesn't suggest, it demands a new lifestyle in all of us. Sin is a disease in the human heart. It affects the mind and the will and the emotions. Every part of our being is affected by this disease. How can we break this bondage? How can we be set free? God helps us break those chains. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. He can make you a totally new person. On that cross, God was laying on Jesus our sins. They not only put nails in his hands, but before that, they scourged him. A Roman scourge was a terrible thing. They took whips and pellets on those whips and beat a person almost to death. And then they took that cross and made him carry the cross, which was in his weakened condition was almost impossible. But he carried that cross to a place outside of Jerusalem. And then they put nails in his hands. But that was not the real suffering. The real suffering is when he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that terrible moment, he and God, the Father, were separated. He shed his blood, and the shedding of that blood carries with it God's very life. There is no other way of salvation except through the cross of Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. The only way to the Father, Father God, is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now why Jesus? He's the only one that was born in this world without sin. But more than that, he was the righteous one. And when you come to him, you're clothed in his righteousness. God no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees your own heart. He sees Jesus. When you come to Christ, you come by the way of repentance. Repent means to change, to change your way of living and turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm a son, I need forgiveness. And I know that you're the only one that can change me. Today, I'm asking you to put your trust in Christ. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, sentence by sentence, after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you've died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins. I repent of my sins. I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. 
See, I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. But not all of us do. And if you're in that place this morning, I'm asking you to trust Christ and to get to know him. And if you want to know more, or you just want to talk to somebody, we're going to have a few people down here, Roger, um, and some members of the prayer team. And they'll just talk to you and they'll pray with you and they'll help you uh, really follow through and understand what it means to follow Christ. But there is no other way. I know where I came from. I know who I believe in. And I know where I'm going. And like he said to you. But you can have the assurance of knowing a God who loves you with a never-ending passion, and who died for you. So, if you're in that place, I would urge you to come and talk. You know, I know there's food, I know there's tea, coffee, and all the rest of it. Come and talk, find out more. Don't put it on one side, but do it now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, Father, thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for... Um, yeah, just for being with us this morning. Mm. Father, I thank you that you are such an incredible God who loves us, who cares for us, who died for us, and who rose again to give us new life so that we could be changed, changed from the inside out. And Lord, I ask that your words now will just penetrate each of our hearts and give life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.